I'm your host, David Cromwell. Uh, the NFL is still in the midst of its annual summer slumber, but it's hard to believe we are officially less than one month away from the start of 2017 NFL training camp, and it's like heaven when that day comes. In that spirit, we continue our 2017 NFL team preview series today with a look at the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are elected why NFL stands for not for long. In 2013, after blowing out the Broncos in Super Bowl 48, there was talk of a potential dynasty brewing in Seattle. But after that ill-timed pass at the goal line in Super Bowl 48, the Seahawks have spiraled downward and now find themselves at a crossroads. So where do the Seahawks go in 2017 and beyond? Joining us today to give us the answer to that question is one of the few people who actually can. He is Seattle Times Seahawks beat writer Bob Kondota, and it's a pleasure to welcome him back to the program. How are you doing, Bob? Uh, good. How you doing, David? Uh, very good. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to have you back on this program. And thank you so much for donating your time and your insider Seahawks knowledge to our show. And now let's get started with a look at this 2017 Seahawks draft class. And uh, with their first overall pick in their draft class, they traded back uh, twice from their first round slot of 26 back to the 36th pick overall. And uh, they selected a defensive lineman from Michigan State, Malik McDowell. Athletically, he might have been a top 10 talent in the class, but due to his uh, inconsistent film, uh, he fell uh, to the second round. And uh, But McDowell, there's no doubt he is upside, and the Seahawks are almost going to have to have him uh, play up to that potential, given the fact that Michael Bennett, even though he signed in 2020, he is going to be 32 years old come November. Do the Seahawks envision Malik McDowell as a long-term replacement for Michael Bennett? Yeah, although, you know, I mean, they signed Bennett through the 2020 season. So, um, I, you know, I think they're counting on Bennett being being a key guy for a few more years here. But no question, he, he, he certainly fits that, that kind of mold. That's, that's almost exactly how they how they were using him and during minicamp and OTAs and things like that was sort of as a guy who uh, – could could line up outside five technique in, in the base defense and then move inside and be a, a real good pass rusher from the inside um, in the nickel, uh, which is how they use Bennett typically. So, um, yeah, you know, Michigan State used him as more of a nose tackle, and the Seahawks felt like that's not really where they think he, he could be the best. They want to use him more as a three- and five-tech guy, uh, which is which is pretty much how they use Bennett as well, and, and pretty similar to how, how they use Frank Clark also, um, although they'll, they'll get Clark out on the edge a little bit more than they, they probably will McDowell. But, um, yeah, you know, they really wanted to add to the defensive line depth. Uh, you know, that's really been probably from the, from a, from the outside. Um, I think that's been a real underrated thing that's been different about this team from the Super Bowl uh, team. You know, during the 2013 season, they really had a really deep uh, defensive line. You know, basically seven guys they felt were pretty interchangeable. Uh, they struggled with that lately, and you saw last year when Bennett got hurt and some other things happened that you know, they weren't quite as good up front because they were just not as deep up front. And so uh, McDowell was uh, a pick to try to rectify that a little bit. Oh, most definitely. And uh, you have me intrigued here, Bob. Uh, Frank Clark, uh, you mentioned that he had a coming out party last year with Ted Sachs, and you still have uh, Cliff Abel, who had 11 and a half sacks last year. And are there packages where they're going to have um, Clark, Bennett, McDowell and Cliff Abel on the field at the same time. I could see that. Um, that might need, that might potentially leave you sort of vulnerable, I guess, to the to the run, but certainly in passing situations and, and really in third and long in particular and things like that. Uh, I certainly think you could see that. They, they've always sort of had some packages like that. Um, you know, they've called them the Jetsons package, I think. 
um, <laughs> and at times, and uh, they've always wanted to do that. But no doubt, they, you know, they had a lot of packages last year with Bennett, April, and Clark all out there again, moving Bennett inside, having April and Clark as your outside guys, or sometimes spending Clark inside a little bit uh, since he can handle it. Uh, inside as well. Um, so I, I think you could see that at times. I, I don't know if that'd be a predominant thing you would see all the time, but um, certainly I think you could see see that for a few plays here and there and some and some obvious passing situations for sure. Oh, and that would be football porn, as they say. With four guys who can hunt the quarterback down and on the field at the same time, uh, beware opposing offensive lines. And speaking of offensive line, the Seahawks uh, had another pick in the second round, and they selected a guy from my backyard of Chicago, it's Ethan Posick out of LSU, uh, who played center for the Tigers uh, last year. And offensive line is obviously the biggest issue facing this Seahawks team. And I think Posick, I think, is even more likely to make an immediate impact than most McDowell is, personally. But uh, do you see Ethan Posick getting one of the five starting offensive line spots, especially given his ability to play four, if not five spots along the line? Yeah, we'll see. I might disagree with you on that because I think for sure McDowell is going to play a pretty big role this year. Uh, Postif, we'll see. Uh, you know, I, I think he still has to win one of the jobs at, at the end of mini camp. Certainly, and that's certainly that's really early for a rookie. But I, he, he was not really um, one of the top five guys yet. Uh, you know, they're using him on on the right side primarily tackle. Uh, they know he can play center since that's what he did mostly at LSU. Uh, he can also play some guard. Um, right now, it's right tackle and right guard are really the spots he's at and. You know, it will be really interesting, the right tackle slot. Um, you know, last year, the guy they took in the first round, Jermaine Effetti, they're moving him to right tackle. Uh, I think that, you know, that could easily just become a battle between Posick and Effetti and to see who wins that right tackle spot. Um, they certainly just wanted to add a lot of competition there. But, you know, if nothing else, I think Posick um, serves as a guy who, you know, they know could help them at three different spots, essentially, and play just about anywhere on the offensive line. And that's a really valuable thing to have as sort of your, your sixth and seventh lineman and so, you know, he could easily be that guy this year as well, the guy who's sort of your utility guy who's active on game day. But he will be given a chance to win, uh, I think, going, especially right now going into camp. I think the right tackle spot is sort of with the most likely spot where he's going to compete with a chance to win the job. And speaking of the trading camp position battles, uh, which position battles should Seahawks fans pay attention to the most to come trading camp, obviously aside from that right tackle position? Yeah, um, well, you know, the left, the whole left side of the line as well, you really have, um, you know, maybe three guys competing for two spots, but in particular, you know, they signed Luke Jokel as one of their, uh, as really their, their highest paid free agent, um, you know, free, better free agent guys that they signed. Uh, then primarily a left tackle with Jacksonville, but the Seahawks are really intrigued by him at guard. He played guard last year for Jacksonville. Tom Cable flat out saying at one point that they thought, uh, Jokel was playing as well as any guard in the NFL at the time he got hurt in October. And so I think they're going to try him first at left guard, see if George Fant can, can handle it at left tackle, and that would be your left side of the line maybe. But Riso Diombo, a third-round pick last year, is also going to fit in there. Um, you know, and the right side of the line, as we were saying earlier, I mean, with Afedi and Posick, you got Mark Belinsky, Odeo Busi, who they signed as a free agent, um, also playing, playing on the right side. Uh, you know, really, other than Justin Britt at center, um, all four of those uh, offensive line spots are – you know, uh, there's a little bit up for grabs. They, they kind of had a set lineup throughout the offseason, but I think all four of those spots could change in the, in the preseason and training camp, depending on what happens. Uh, you know, the running back, I, running back is obviously one of those things. Both both Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy ideally are going to play a lot, but at some point, one of them is going to be the first guy to go out there, and you know that'll be interesting to watch to see how how they end up divvying up the up the snaps there between those two guys. 
and and sort of how I, I you know if one of the guys does emerge as is as getting a few more of the carries than one of the other guys. My hunch is it'll be pretty equal and and all that, and they'll find ways to get them both out there. But you know, you never know. We'll we'll see how that how that one develops. Uh, you know, defensively, the strong side linebacker spot, as with a lot of teams, strong side line. You know, you know, one of your linebacker spot comes off the field so often because you're in nickel so much anymore. It's sort of um, maybe hard to see the value in that. You know, the, the Seahawks sometimes at the position last year was only on the foot on the field for five or ten snaps, but. They do have a little bit of a battle there. Stock side linebacker with Michael Wilhoy, um, a veteran free agent who they signed, uh, who had been with the 49ers the last few years, sort of pegged to have to take over that role for now. But he was hurt throughout the, throughout the OTAs and minicamp, and, and uh, we didn't really see him in any of the, in any of the practices open to the media. So, you know, that one's, that one's for sure there. And then the other really intriguing one is, is the cornerback spot opposite Richard Sherman. And, and, you know, the Seahawks, the way they do it, Sherman typically lines up on the left side of their defense, so it's the right cornerback spot that's sort of open, and, you know, Deshaun said he was the starter there last year, uh, suffered the ACL injury in the playoff game against Atlanta. He's not going to be ready when the season starts, so they've got a couple different guys. Uh, you know, probably right now it would be Jeremy Lane, who was their nickel last year. Um, he would start in the base and then move inside in the nickel, so he'd be on the field, you know, all the time. Um, and then maybe, but who becomes that third corner, uh, and if that third guy can beat out Jeremy Lane to be the starter on the outside, uh, you know that that could happen. I think the two uh, the two most logical guys who could maybe do that are Nico Thorpe, who was a um, played a little bit for him last year. They signed him to a two year contract in the off season. Um, once he hit free agency, and then Shaquille Griffin, who they who they also took in the third round. Um, you know they're really high on Griffin, but you know I think I think as of now that job probably goes to Jeremy Lane, who's making quite a bit of money and and who whose whose base salary became guaranteed in February. So there's a little bit of an investment there, but. Uh, that will be a, a, another battle that'll be really interesting to watch. And then, um, you know, the receiver spots, uh, Doug Baldwin is obviously uh, sort of your lead guy, but but how the rest of the spots behind that emerge, uh, you know, Jermaine Curse didn't have the greatest year last year. Paul Richardson really played well in the playoffs. Tyler Lockett has the injuries, uh, had, had, had the, the broken leg, suffered late in the season. Um, you know, how, how quickly will he be available? Um that could open up some time for somebody else. So, uh, sort of how how the, the receiver spots, especially the second and third receiver spots, um, end up developing. That will be really interesting to watch as well. Oh, most definitely, especially on a team that is known for their depth, as the Seahawks have been these past uh, several years. And uh, speaking of uh, of depth and rosters, uh, do you see any players that made the initial 53-man roster in 2016 that will be hard pressed to make it this year? And if so, who? Um, oh boy, yeah, you tell me up. So, who were on the initial last year? Um, I just have to do a quick mental check here. Basically, ask if there's a veteran. I mean, the guy that people, especially sort of, I, I guess, Seahawks fans, been a lot of chatter about is Jermaine Curse, who, who did not have a great season last year. But his contract, they don't save, you know, he's making quite a bit of money this year. Uh, they wouldn't save much against the cap by releasing him. I still think he probably makes it for this year because I just think that there are some things he does and, and all of that. Um, but, you know, maybe he would be one. Um, you know, they sort of I, – I think a lot of the, you know, guys who are coming back are going to be in pretty good shape to make it. Uh, you know, they there were some decisions they made in the offseason to sort of get rid of some of the guys like that, like Gary Gilliam, who they, who they let walk after they had actually tendered him as a restricted free agent. Um, and um, – you know, a few of the veteran linebackers who've been around for a while, like Mike Morgan and Brock Coyle, um, 
And then even, you know, the backup safeties from last year, you know, Kelsey McCray and Stephen Terrell, who was their starting free safety after Earl Thomas got hurt. You know, uh, I think they I think they did a little bit of that sort of roster whittling in the offseason. And I think for the most part, um, the guys who are who sort of been core guys the last, you know, couple of years on the roster, I think I think in general, uh, those guys are probably going to be there um, when the season starts. But, uh, um, I, you know, I maybe maybe some – Maybe some. I'm trying to think about the defensive line a little bit. A guy like Cassius Mars, maybe. Uh, you know, Cassius Mars and Kevin Pierre Lewis uh, would be two guys I, I would definitely think about. Um, you know, guys entering the fourth year of their of their rookie contracts and and have sort of just been reserves uh, the last couple of years. So uh, especially, I guess, in Cassius Mars's case, if, if one of the, the younger defensive linemen, if they sort of feel like the, someone really emerges there, say Deion Jordan gets healthy and uh, and they like what he does or something like that. Um, you know, maybe that maybe that takes a defensive line spot away from Cassius Morrison. And same with Kevin Pierre Lewis. Uh, they did add quite a few linebackers. Uh, they basically signed three veterans and uh, to sort of overhaul overhaul the backup linebacking core. Uh, so I think Kevin Pierre Lewis is a guy who also will will have to show some things to assure he's on the fifty three man roster when the season begins. And another um, uh, theme that comes into play for the Seahawks every year when it comes to shaping that initial fifty three man roster is that there's this. Uh, Unknown guy who like emerges out of nowhere in training camp in the preseason and finds his way onto that 53 man roster. Are there any such sleeper candidates that can surprise the training camp at preseason and make the 2017 uh, Seahawks initial 53 man roster? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's a guy who's going to be really intriguing to watch. I, I'd be hesitant to say, yeah, he's, he's going to make it, but uh, you know, they signed a guy named Cyril Grayson uh, as a he's a receiver. Um, was a track star at LSU, uh, primarily in relays to the 200 and the 400, but also did run, has run some 100 as well, but still basically just a real fast guy. Uh, has not played football since high school, went to LSU, sort of hoping to play football, but he was on a track scholarship, so he couldn't do that. And, uh, you know, ended up not playing at all. So he hasn't played football since 2011. Um, they were very, uh, very, you know, pleased with his progress during the OTAs and the mini camp, but, He's only about five nine, and when you start putting on pads, and the physicality of it is where it's really going to be, really going to tell the tale for him. So, I think he's a guy who could. I think he's intrigued them a little bit, and just the, the fact that he's so fast. You know, if he had, a, if he could show that he can carry that speed over onto onto the field, and, and you know, still handle it physically and things like that, I think he might have a little bit of a shot. Um, there, you know, offensive line, offensive line guys are always sort of an honest. But, you know, there was an undrafted free agent. They signed that they're pretty high on Jordan Roos. They gave him, I think, a $20,000 signing bonus to sign. And he plays, uh, played at Purdue, was a guy they said they had a draftable, you know, thought he could go up maybe as high as the fifth round, ended up not getting drafted. They made an aggressive move to sign him in free agency. Um, uh, been playing primarily guard here in the OTAs and minicamp, but can play some tackle as well. So, uh, he, he's a guy who maybe could. And then there's always some defensive lineman who emerges. And there, there actually was a defensive lineman they see pretty high on, uh, another undrafted rookie, but uh, Jeremy Liggins, um, about a 315 pounder. And, you know, they sort of need some nose tackle. He, he could maybe, he could maybe be your, your third or fourth tackle in the rotation there. If he, he shows he can do it as well. Um, guy with an intriguing story, uh, high school quarterback and, and has played a number of different positions throughout and, and has grown to over 300 pounds. And I think he's the biggest defensive lineman they have on the roster in terms of weight right now. So uh, that's always something you're looking for as well as a guy who can really just help plug up the middle. So, um, you know, that might be three names to watch. He is Bob Cadona, ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks beat writer for the Seattle Times. 
and uh, now from the present to the future of this Seahawks organization. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit about what lies ahead here. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Seahawks are a team at a crossroads right now. The heart and soul of their team, the Legion of Boom, might be nearing the end of the road. Cam Chancellor, who has been plagued by injuries in recent seasons, his contract expired after the season. And in 2018, Richard Sherman only carries a $2.2 million debt cap charge for SpotTrack.com. And given that, plus all the drama that occurred with him last year with his blow-up with coaches on the sidelines in the recent months with the trade talk, he's expected by many around the NFL to be either released or traded after the 2017 season. Also, Earl Thomas. He pondered retirement after fracturing his tibia last season. He only carries a $1.9 million debt cap charge in 2018, also per SpotTrack.com, making him a candidate for release if injuries or declining play catch up with him this season. Will any, if not all of these three mainstays, be back with the Seahawks in 2018, or is 2017 the last year in Seattle for any, if not all of them? Uh, I think Earl for sure. I, you know, I, I, I sort of downplayed the retirement. I, I, you know, that was sort of a spur of the moment tweet he sent out. And I think, I think the way things go in the media these days, we all make too big a deal sometimes out of, out of some of that stuff. I don't think Earl was really considering retiring, retiring a whole lot. Certainly, I don't think the organization was ever worried about it. Uh, you know, I think Earl um, is a guy who, just because of his value to the team, what he means, um, I think he's one of the guys who'll be here for the long haul. I think, uh, I think Earl's going to be. Um, you know, and you, and you can do that at free safety as well. You know, that's a position guys can sort of play uh, a little bit more deeper into your careers. Uh, you're right. Sherman is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, the, the decision will have to be made at the end of the 2017 season. Either the Seahawks sign him to an extension or, um, yeah, I, I, trading him would probably be difficult. They found that really hard to do this year, obviously. And then even next year when you when you've got even, you know, the, I mean, any team that he would go to would probably want to know that he would be he would commit to them for the long haul and they'd have to work out, you know, any new team would have to work out some sort of contract situation with them as well. Um, but it would seem unlikely that you would go into the 2018 season without that settled one way or the other um, with him. And with Cam, uh, you know, Cam will be an, another interesting one to watch. I, you know, I think we've all been expecting that maybe they get something done with Cam prior to the start of this season. You know, that's usually the MO with, with your really, with, with your really key guys is that you try to get something done with them before they enter that that walk year on their contract. So um, they have not done that yet with Cam. So, um, you know, maybe we'll know a lot more in a couple months on him. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, he is sort of reaching that age. He'll be 30 years old. He has had some, uh, by the time his next contract would, would kick in anyway, and has had some uh, injury issues the last couple of years and does play a position where, uh, you know, you, you take a lot more punishment and things like that. Um, and, you know, and, and where you can, uh, sometimes get stuck in some matchups as well. So, you know, if you get a little bit older, uh, having to do a lot more of that, maybe man to man covers, you know, so, we'll, so we'll see with Cam, you know, they did, uh, as what was really the big storyline of the draft locally anyway, was that, you know, they, they drafted four defensive backs and three in the first three rounds and, you know, sort of looking like they were trying to find some replacements for, for the guys in the secondary long term and, and, uh, I think that will tell a lot as well. I think if they feel really comfortable with a guy like Shaquille Griffin at the corner, you know, maybe he flat out wins one of the starting jobs. Um, if the two safeties they drafted, Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill, also show that sort of thing, and, and they feel, you know, they get a couple months into it and feel really comfortable with what those guys can do. You know, they signed Bradley McDougal as well, a free agent from Tampa Bay. Um, that could go a long way to shaping the decisions they make. So I think there's still a lot that could happen here with all of that, but I would say I, I'd be shocked if Earl Thomas isn't on this roster, um, you know, 
past the 2018 season or so. I, I think he's a guy who's uh, who's will count on, you know, sort of like Russell and Bobby Wagner. I think there's a couple of guys here that they're looking at as, as carrying this thing forward for quite a while. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since that the major drop-off in the Seahawks defense performance occurred after Earl Thomas's injury. They look uh, just like another uh, average NFL defense after Earl Thomas uh, got hurt. And uh, the Falcons obviously did a great job exploiting that uh, absence in the playoffs. And uh, Earl Thomas, uh, they say he is the most invaluable member of the LOD, and that was obviously proven last year. And uh, looking a little bit even further ahead now. As the Legion of Boom continues to age, do you see the identity of the Seahawks team shifting? Like, do they become a more offensive-oriented team, particularly using a bigger chunk of the cap to invest in offensive needs? Well, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't know that that's something they're going to decide. Like, you know, let's let's suddenly become an offensive team. I, you know, it's I, I don't know that they necessarily always thought that they were going to spend you know so much of the cap on defense. It sort of just worked out that way when you suddenly you know draft guys like Sherman and Chancellor in the fifth round and things like that, and you you, you find out what you have and then you want to keep them. Um, so I you know I don't know that there's a set organizational philosophy to really be one or the other. I think it's just more you know you pay for what you have. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the one thing I think you, I mean, if you're really looking down the road, like, you know, say three years from now, uh, the one thing you know you're going to have is Russell Wilson as your quarterback. And, and so you would, uh, I, I think, you know, even if you start to feel like the defense is dropping off a little bit or you haven't replaced those guys with, with the exact same caliber of player, um, maybe it would make sense to build around Russell a little bit more. And, you know, a guy like Doug Baldwin as well, I think, can play for quite a while. And, uh, you know, you can sort of build around that combination and, and all of that. So, um, we'll see. I think how that how that evolves, but I don't think they're going to you know really make that decision one way or the other. I think those are sort of evolve and, and and we'll see what happens there. But certainly, you know, knowing that you have Russell um, and that you, you know you have a quarterback like that, and as he gets older too, they're not going to want to um, put, put quite so much value on his running. Uh, you know, I think they'll want to give him a little more help as as he gets older. You know, I think that was one of the other things they learned last year was was sort of depending so much on Russell's legs and, and his ability to create things. And, you know, when he got hurt a little bit and you don't have quite as many um, offensive weapons around him, uh, you know, you, you saw what could happen there. And I think they do want to cover for that a little more as Russell gets older. And so you saw them go get, you know, try to beef up the line, sign a guy like Eddie Lacy, um, you know, do some other things uh, with the offense a little bit. So uh, certainly I think that could happen. But, you know, you know this, I think there's always been a misnomer that they haven't been much of an offensive team. I mean, they've set basically every single record for points scored and yards gained and, you know, yards gained per play and rushing yards in a season and passing yards in a season and passing touchdowns, um, you know, in the last four years. So it, it's not like they've been completely inept offensively or that they haven't, um, you know, really tried to do anything offensively. You know, all the big trades they've made really have been offensive stuff, Jimmy Graham and Percy Harvin and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think that'll continue. I think they'll just try to continue to put the best team they can together. And, and uh, you know, what the deep, what, what the mix is salary cap-wise will sort of be what it is. Most definitely. And you mentioned the fact that the Seahawks drafted four defensive backs. Uh, Shaquille Griffin from Central Florida and Delano Hill in Michigan, both in round three. Tedrick Thompson, the safety from Colorado in round four and in round six. Or was it round five? Uh, I forgot. Michael Tyson, not the boxer, folks. Mike Tyson, a defensive back from uh, Cincinnati. And uh, they're clearly thinking about the future. And you mentioned that they're high on Shaquille Griffin. But of the rest of those uh, draft picks, Cedric Thompson, Delano Hill, 
and Michael Tyson, which ones, in your view, are likely to carve out a big role on defense long term? Long term? Um, well, long term, I think uh, I think Griffin, uh, Thompson, and Hill all could. And, uh, you know, uh, Tyson, you're right, was a six round pick, and they're sort of going to change, they're changing his role a little bit. They're experimenting with him. He was sort of a, a safety and a five defensive back. Uh, back scheme at Cincinnati. They're looking at him a little bit more as a corner and maybe more specifically as a slot corner, so to see if he can make that transition. Um, so that might be something that's going to take a little while to know for sure what they have with him. But I think those other three guys, you know, will be on the 53-man roster this year and, and that could start to happen. You know, how big of a role, uh, it goes back to the question you asked earlier, really, about about what happens with Cam and Earl and Richard Sherman and um, how quickly would they need any of these guys to step into significant roles. And um, it's really too early to tell because, you know, until you really see them out there and know for sure what you have, I I think we got to wait a little bit, but the opportunity is going to be there, no doubt. Uh, you know, they all play positions again, as we discussed earlier. Um, you know, Griffin, obviously, with the cornerback situation and what 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 maybe could happen in Sherman's future. If Griffin, you know, if they get comfortable that Griffin can be a starter, um, you know, with either Sherman or Jeremy Lane, who, who's uh, who's another guy who, after this season, his contract situation could could easily be a a salary cap casualty. Um, you know, he could be a starter quickly, um, and then uh, you know, both uh, Thompson and then. And then Hill as well, you know, with the safeties uh, getting up there and in uh, age and all that. Like, I, I mean, I'll stick to my thought on Earl. I think Earl's going to be around for a while, um, but uh, certainly the Delano Hill right now is sort of your, your potential ba- uh, backup strong safety to Cam. And, and if uh, you know, if it does, if it goes crossways with Cam and on the contract situation, are they feel comfortable enough with with Hill that they feel like we don't have to uh, break the bank to keep Cam? And, and maybe that ends up, you know, he, he decides to look around. In free agency, uh, you know, certainly uh, that that scenario is there where he could be your starting he could be your starting strong safety in 2018. Thank you once again, Bob Cadona, U.S. beat writer for the Seattle Times, for joining the program uh, yet again and joining your time and your insider Seahawks knowledge. And one final question before we let you go here, Bob, uh, record wise, what do you believe is the floor and ceiling for the Seahawks in 2017? Well, I think the ceiling's pretty high, uh, and I'm not just trying to be a homer here, but, I, you know, they play a pretty favorable schedule. I, obviously, the beginning, uh, going to Green Bay week one um, is not going to be easy, and going to Dallas uh, later in the year is not going to be easy. But, you know, if you look at it, the, the one-loss percentage of their opponents isn't super great. Um, you know, they also play Tennessee in week three, and that could be tricky. They could not get off to a great start, but um, I still think they're the class of the NFC West. Uh, you know, they, I think they'll be favored and every home game they play and, and uh, you know, two or three of the road games they play. So they just sort of hold serve. I think, you know, 11 or 12 wins uh, is more than doable in winning the NFC West. Um, you know, any team that is that has such a dominant quarterback like the Seahawks do with Russell Wilson, if he gets hurt, you know, sort of all bets are off a little bit. You could certainly have uh, have a little bit of a floor there if Russell got hurt and the offensive line doesn't come, come around and, you know, there's a lot of drastic scenarios there. I, I think if Russell stays healthy and the, and the defense sort of rebounds a little bit with, you know, if Earl stays healthy and things like that, I don't think the floor is that low. But I, I think if obviously if some injuries happen, uh, you know, it could get a lot lower. But I, let me say, uh, you know, if you're, I guess you want to flat out, I give me an answer there. I, I, I give you an answer. I guess I'd say eight wins is, is a floor, um, assuming no. Uh, injuries that we don't know about, but you know, if injuries happen, then the floor could be uh, anything. I mean, we've seen that a million times in the NFL, where if everybody gets hurt, then then what looks like a really good team can become a really bad one quickly. But uh, I don't think that you know. I, I think the floor is still not that low for this team if uh, 
if you know you sort of just have your normal average kind of injury situation. Thank you once again, Bob. And he once again, folks, is Bob Dakota, Seahawks speed writer for the Seattle Times. If you want to know anything about the Seahawks, uh, find him on Twitter at Dakota. That is D-O-N-D-O-T-T-A, folks. And uh, that is all for today here on Sports Coast with Pete Crawford. But we plan to be back here next week with a special on the Jacksonville Jaguars, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog at sportscrunch.com. And that is Crunch with a K. For Bob Cazota, our producer Chris Broadhead, and the box by David Cromwell saying so long, have a happy 4th of July, and of course, stay awesome.